1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. This is Bishop Brian Willett coming to you live from the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains here on this August 3rd, 2018, for a brand new edition of Vestiges of Christianity. I'm here with my co-host, Joy Keeling, and we are going to be talking today about exorcism ministry, specifically the do's and don'ts of contacting an exorcist when you think you need help. It's an important subject and something that I think a lot of people should know more about. We'll also be taking your questions from the live chat room, so make sure that you log in. And uh, we'll be, at this point, starting in just a moment. Stay tuned, everyone. Welcome back, everybody. Um, we're still trying to work out some of the sound. Skype is a terrible integration. I hate to say it. They've made some changes to Skype that have not been beneficial to those of us who must depend upon it for podcasting. Unfortunately, Joy Keeling and I live in two completely different parts of the country, and um, I need her to connect into Skype in order for there to be uh, a show at all. But that integration messes up the sound recording system. And so what sounds right and what looks right on my instrumentation apparently doesn't sound right. So uh, Sister Kateri, who is sort of the, you know, one of my office staff who listens to the show in real time to give me uh, live updates as to how the sound is going or if there's any issues coming through, uh, she said here that... uh, my the music was still overpowering my voice a little bit that's something that's kind of new it was not a problem until just recently so uh i apologize for that hopefully you could hear me though um let me know if you couldn't hear me over the music and i won't i'm going to have to completely reset how this uh connects okay but um we're still working through still trying to figure things out and i apologize um if um i'm not sounding optimal Anyway, um yeah, some of you are mentioning in the chat room about the commercials. Yeah, that we've started uh, allowing Spreaker to have some commercials. It allow it, it, it they pay us for those commercials not much. I mean, I think so far we've earned 13 cents, so maybe it's not even worth doing. Um and thank you Joe for letting me know you could hear me but it wasn't strong, so we're going to work on fixing that. Um just bear with me as we figure out. Um, again, it's the it's the Skype integration because when uh, Skype is disconnected, that problem does not happen. It's something to do with how Skype is is balancing out the the sound volume, and we'll we'll work on it. Okay, but anyway, uh, let's go ahead and get started here uh, on this new edition of Vestiges of Christianity. I want to welcome you, Joy, back to the show. How are you doing? Hello. I'm doing? doing much better. <laughs> Feeling better from last week, I hope.
2: Feeling better, yes.
1: All right, that's good to hear because I you know I was we were all worried about you, um, and uh, it's never a good thing or a fun thing to be sick, but I, <laughs> you're sounding much better, so uh, I'm glad that we can uh, have you for this particular uh show because we're going to be talking about a topic, I think today that is essential is yes. essential <laughs> to this ministry. And those of us who work in this ministry, which are not, I mean, far and few between, let's face it, um, not a lot of people out there doing the work that I do. And, you know, those that are, are mostly within the conventional sector and there's rules of engagement for them that don't even apply to us, but uh, are going to make it even harder for those of you who need help, need the help of an exorcist to get the help that you require. The order of Exorcist was established to sort of soften that restriction a bit. The problem is there are numerous issues that come up as a result of not following the conventional system. So we'll talk a little bit about how the Roman Catholic Church does it and how we are different. But we'll also talk about how some of those differences create problems for us in the independent sacramental movement who do work this ministry. And hopefully the show today will help all of you to... Better prepare yourself for this kind of interaction when you are reaching out for the first time to an exorcist because you feel that you have an issue that needs the help of one. Um, and we'll also be, you know, on the second half of the show, we'll also be taking your questions from the live chat as well as questions from the past week on Twitter. There's always so many of them, and a lot of them you know deserve a much longer response than Twitter allows or I have time for. And so, you know, again, as I've mentioned bef- to you all before, this show was brought back, sort of a resurrection from the dead, um, so that we could answer these questions more directly, more deliberately, and with greater detail, and give them the uh, attention that they deserve. Um, so let's get started, I think, with today's subject. Because I think, <coughs> honestly, There might even be more questions that come from what we are about to discuss. And, you know, for those of you who are not familiar with the way that I work, I strongly believe in the organic nature of conversation. So Joy and I do remarkably little preparation for this show. Um, Even when I give sermons at church, I absolutely refuse, unless there is something very specific that I need to address, and I almost never do this, but only maybe maybe once or twice in my entire career have I done this, um, I don't write things down. I, I, I never write things down. I never sit down and think about what's my sermon going to be this week. I never look at the readings and say, mm, I got to figure out how am I going to apply this to people's lives. I don't do that because I like it to happen organically. I don't like to stifle the Holy Spirit. And so, when I give a sermon, I, I pretty much completely surrender myself to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit tell the congregation whatever the Holy Spirit wants to tell the congregation. And I think if I were to intellectualize that too much, it gets in the way. Well, there's a similar thing to that with podcasting. Um, I don't like to plan too far ahead. I like to keep it real and I like to kind of get a very organic answer from everyone who participates in the show, so um joy does not know what we're going what, what what the do's and don'ts are that I've set up here, but I'm sure she probably already has a good idea <laughs>
2: i've 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 had some ideas over the over the you know time that I've known you I've lear- learned a lot just from osmosis <laughs>
1: yeah, and I honestly tell me if I'm wrong, but don't you learn better that way? I mean really.
2: Pretty much, because you're assimilating the information yourself instead of just having it handed to you.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think that you know makes a world of difference in in how we process information and utilize it in a way that it's retained for future benefit. But let's start off here. So what we're going to do is I've developed a list of ten. I'm sorry, seven. It might grow to 10 by the end of the show. Who knows? But I've developed a list of seven do's and seven don'ts of making your first contact to an exorcist. Okay. And keep in mind, this could, in theory, be applied to going to a Roman Catholic exorcist as well as to somebody working in the independent sacramental movement like myself or even maybe somebody in a more protestant or avant-garde type of uh, ministry although I would be cautious how avant-garde you want to get because there are a lot of people who claim to be exorcists who are really not they haven't been properly trained and they don't understand some of the formulation that is necessary to a successful um, resolution to a person's spiritual crisis So you want to be very cautious with who you choose. You don't want to just go to anybody who sounds good. Um, And maybe that should be a don't. I don't know. But let's start off with um, a list of things to do and a list of things not to do when you are making your first approach. So essentially you've got a spiritual crisis of some kind. And obviously if it's gotten to the point that you're starting to consider reaching out to the church for help, Um, specifically reaching out to an exorcist for help, uh, it it, it must have reached a point where it's bothering you excessively because most people do not want to acknowledge that they have a spiritual problem. Most people are not comfortable talking about, uh, about it, even to an exorcist. So it takes a bit of courage for a lot of people who have a genuine spiritual crisis going on to actually reach out for help. But then you've got other people who are looking for other types of no, um, well, they're looking for different types of answers. And we're going to maybe touch a little bit upon those as well. Let's start off with one of the do's. We'll go from the do's and then we'll go to a don't. Okay, and they're not always related. Sometimes they're related. The do's and the don'ts are related to each other, but bear with me. Let's start with the first one. Do expect a process. Okay. Do expect a process. There are too many people who come to me and this is being, I'm drawing this from my own experience. Okay. From having done this work for a very long time and work with countless numbers of people, um, this is not written down somewhere. This is not something that we you know, we teach people when they're learning how to work exorcism ministry. This is just my own personal ministry and the things that I've experienced and the things that I would like to see corrected as much as it is possible to correct. And the first thing here is expect a process. Most people expect that you are going to go in to see the exorcist and he's going to say some prayer over you, lay hands on you, do something, and you are now... Cured magically, as if by a miracle. Okay. Now, while that can happen, it usually does not happen. And people become very despondent when they don't see an immediate result or feel any different after coming for the first stage of their resolution process. And notice how I said process. Because that's what it is. It is not something that can be handled in a very expeditious way, okay? Typically, if you are at the point of spiritual crisis, it's because you have been neglecting your spirituality for so long that you don't even realize how it's been a growing process in and of itself to reach the point where you needed help. It starts out with a process and it has to be resolved with the process. Now, you can be ambushed by the demonic and instantly have a problem. That that does happen. We have seen instantaneous uh, demonic attachments when a person unexpectedly comes in contact with such an entity. That does happen. But most of the time... Even then, it's a process of not having been properly prepared spiritually for encountering such a thing, which is part of our Christian obligation. And that's what I like about vestiges of of Christianity over vestiges after dark. The one advantage that I think this this show has over the other one is that we can talk in Christian terms here more freely. Um, And that is important, Okay, particularly as it applies to this ministry. Because a lot of people out there are not Christian who listen to me or follow me or learn from me. And that's fine. And I certainly do accommodate those various worldviews. And I try to explain things in ways that their worldviews would accept. But here on this show, I'm going to just give you the the hardcore realities of the Christian religion. And I chose to be a, a, a Christian. I chose to be a Catholic. Okay. Because I tried numerous other systems and I found things here that do not exist anywhere else. And when it comes to the removal of a demon, um, there are almost no equivalents out there. The Catholics really do do it the best. Okay. So expect a process expect that you are now when you go in to see the the, the exorcist initially it's going to be most likely just an interview asking you what's going on and then there's an extensive assessment process and then there's going to be if there is the determination that there is really something going on a healing process a treatment plan if you will almost like going to a doctor okay And you're going to be expected to follow that treatment plan to the letter. And all of that's going to lead to the eventual release of whatever the initial problem is. If it's a demonic attachment, then this is what you have to do to remove the demonic attachment. It very rarely goes away overnight, although it has happened. We have seen it. Um, It's just not common. It's not usual. And you don't expect it. I think one of the reasons that this happens is the the unfortunate consequence of the charismatic movement and Pentecostalism. This idea that, you know, the the gifts and powers of the Holy Spirit are just as abundant today as they were in apostolic times. And now, you know, you lay hands on people and the Holy Spirit rushes in and fixes everything. No, it's not like that. It can be like that. I'm not going to say I, I would never try to stifle the promptings of the Holy Spirit. But I have to give you the pragmatic view on what an average person can expect from an average encounter. And most of the time, that's not the way the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit tends to work through the same process that I'm describing now. So that's the first two. Is there anything, Joy, that you think that we should add about that or should we move on to the don't?
2: I, I'm pretty good with that,
1: too. Okay. <laughs> All right. Interrupt me at any time if there's something that uh, you, you want to add or feel that would be helpful. Uh, I'm just going to keep plugging along here. Oh, sure. All right. Awesome. Awesome. So the, 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 the don't, okay? Do not, under any, any circumstances, self-diagnose. Do not write into your intake form, I am possessed and I need an exorcism. Okay? Believe me, we get this more than you can possibly imagine, and it is almost irrefutable proof that you are not possessed. Because genuinely possessed or demonically afflicted people tend to avoid exorcists and avoid even the designation of oppression or possession because they do not, the de- The demonic influence does not want to be removed. The last thing it's going to do is advertise itself. So when I see in an intake form, I am possessed, I need an exorcism, that's almost immediately uh, a red flag that says there's something else going on here that is not paranormal. Now maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> it's now people <laughs> that are still trying to manipulate the system now know one of the one of the the assessment cues, but um, I'm I think it's there's more benefit here to sharing with all of you what we are looking for in terms of developing a relationship that's conducive to healing. Um, when you think you have diagnosed the problem, you're not open to the actual diagnosis and it might be very different than what you think. Most people and let me be very clear about this. Most people who think they have a demonic oppression or possession do not. The vast majority perhaps I had to give a statistic of course I haven't I don't have any hard numbers to give you from actual studies but if I had to give you just a basic impression as to what I would think I would say more than 90% People who think they have a demonic event going on in their lives actually do not. It's something else going on. doesn't mean it's not paranormal. And It doesn't mean it's not supernatural in some form, or preternatural, I guess, would be the better term to use here. Um, but it's not necessarily demonic. Let your exorcist make that determination. Don't go in there with preconceived ideas as to what needs to happen. I get people that will come into my office and, 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 and demand an exorcism. And get very upset with me when I don't comply. We don't jump into it. Remember what the do is? Don't you know, expect a process? Well, along with that, don't self diagnose. Let your exorcist do his job. All right? You're seeking his help. He's not <laughs> he's not soliciting for you. Um and you need to respect that process, otherwise you're not going to get better. Okay, Um, so that's that those that's number one for do and number one for don't. Number two. Do show up to your appointment and on time. You would not believe how many people get an appointment booked with my office and don't show up to the appointment and we never hear from them again even after confirming the day before I'm not kidding this happens and on a such a regular basis um, that it's been a point where it's really compromising our how effective we are Because my office is overrun with intakes. We have more than we'll ever be able to see. The queue is massive. We don't have the staff or financial resources to actually help them all. And so when we book an interview to begin the assessment process, you are taking up a slot that could be going to somebody who actually wants our help. And when you don't show up to your appointment or you're late to your appointment, you're compromising someone else's spot. And that's really unacceptable. Okay, so we see that a lot too much. And, you know, we've even talked about throwing ideas around like maybe our clients need to have some skin in the game. So we've been we've we've even talked about maybe requiring a one hundred dollar retainer to cut scene and then if you show up then you get your retainer back we've thought about all sorts of things to try to avoid this we are not at the point now where we've changed anything in that respect but we are at a point where we are now going to be opening dialogue with the church administration about changing our policies and procedures Um, In fact, we're not even taking intakes right now. I mean, we are taking intakes, but we're not seeing clients right now because we are having to restructure quite a few ways the way that we do things. And so we're taking intakes, but we're going to be setting appointments later. We're not uh, not taking clients at the moment until we've worked out some of the details as, as to what's going forward. And some of that is because we've had far too many clients show up. I mean, not show up. They book appointments. They take a slot. It can take months to be seen because we have so many people and um, and to not show up. It, it, it's, just, it's really disrespectful to not just us who are trying to help people that need help, but to the people who do need help and are not getting it because they've taken up a slot and didn't even use it.
2: Of course, part of the problem there is also you know, you have people who may have a spirit attachment and it may be preventing them from actually coming in and getting that treatment. You know, somebody, somebody who genuinely has an attachment may have trouble even filling out the intake form, let alone making it to the location and talking to you about it. But at the same time, if they want that help, they have to be able to separate themselves from that entity enough to do that because they're going to have to do some really hard stuff on the other end of that meeting.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think sometimes people, again, being so ignorant, and, and it's not, uh, let me let me make this very clear before we move on. It's not anyone's fault. The, the Roman Catholic Church has made this such a taboo topic made it so mysterious and inaccessible and unapproachable that there really is not a lot of good information out there. and A lot of people don't know what to expect. But, you know, I mean, I think we live in a world where it's pretty obvious that correct protocol is when you make an appointment with a professional organization that you, you keep it or you call with advance notice to cancel and reschedule um, but to n- make the appointment confirm the appointment not show up to the appointment that's unacceptable and honestly I will tell you our our procedure for this our policy is that if that happens you're out we will never take your case we close your case and we will not see I mean barring something like some unforeseeable car accident or something where you didn't have an opportunity to you know we of course would 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 excuse something like that but yeah. i mean if it's just you know no call no show type of thing no you're <clears> done <throat> we don't we don't take your case after that because we just have too many other ones who do want help and we'd rather focus on those
2: yeah you know it's uh you know demons are rude so <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> and, yeah. If you can't, and, and, and
2: if you can't separate yourself from the demon enough to show up or at least reach out then really how much help can you provide when they're not willing to put in that effort to, to put that wedge between themselves and the attachment?
1: Well, correct. And it comes up to actually being part of the number two don't. And we touched on this with the last one, but it's worth mentioning here again. And the number two don't is don't expect magical instant solutions. So, it's related to this idea of a demon being in control of a person's mind that would maybe lead to you know not showing up or something like that to you know the exorcist um, it's It's related to that in a sense that sometimes people have a very childish almost or very immature at least understanding of the spiritual dynamic at work. And that, that, that goes on both sides of the fence, whether they genuinely have a problem or they don't genuinely have a problem. But one thing that we see more than any other type of, uh, of, of indication is that people do often expect that again, you're going to come in, the exorcist comes in with his magic wand, says a few incantations and the problem just instantaneously goes away. Um, again, getting back to number one, do, do, expect a process do not expect an instant solution if you get one if god is merciful and it breaks i mean we've had those i'm not gonna say it doesn't happen it has happened um then just thank god get down on your hands and knees and, and just thank god for that grace but understand that most of the time that's not the case and the more severe the attachment uh, the longer the process, so don't expect magical instant solutions. Your exorcist is not a sorcerer; he's a facilitator, okay? An expert facilitator. He teaches you how to overcome the crisis. He helps, yeah. But it's,
2: yeah, it's, like, like if you if you were in a uh, a terrible car accident and damage was done to your spine, and they're, they're not sure if you're going to walk again, and you end up in a coma for a while, and you you know, you're just out of commission for months, and then you come around, you're just going to get up and, and run a marathon, or do you need physical therapy? I think you need a lot of physical therapy. It's a process. It's, it, you're not going to get up and run that marathon after being in an accident like that, and it's the same thing with having a a spiritual wound like this because that it's the same type of thing. You still have to build yourself back up from that. You still have to work on that and build that back if it ever was there to begin with.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, the well, I mean uh, the analogies between what we would do in like a medical situation versus how we handle things in, in, in spiritual crisis resolution are, Almost identical It really does kind of Follow the same Formula And uh, You know The parallels Are there So think about What you would do With your doctor Same kind of approach To your exorcist Just you know The doctor heals Your, your physical problems And illnesses You know Just like a, psychi- a Psychologist Or a psychiatrist Would handle Your mental And emotional crises and the exorcist is the doctor that heals your spiritual crisis but again when I say heals it's just like medical doctors they're facilitators you know if you have a heart attack they can help you with procedures that can reverse the damage done by a heart attack there's surgical operations there's medications they can put you on but ultimately a change of lifestyle is the only thing that's going to really heal you to the point that you can get back to normal life and be somewhat assured that it won't happen again. Um, At least not for a long time. You know, doctors are facilitators. Exorcists are facilitators. And yes, Tara says in the chat room that an exorcist is a spiritual doctor. 100% agree with that. All right. Number three. Um, Do expect to provide a full psychological assessment it's necessary folks a lot of people come to the exorcist first they're afraid of doctors they're afraid of psycholo- psychiatrists they don't want to go they want to entertain the possibility that maybe it's all in their head and of course you know if you're follow me in metaphysics you know that anything that's in your head is probably the only real thing but that's more of a topic for vestiges after dark Right now, we need to take into consideration that when a person comes to us with the need of or what they believe is a a spiritual crisis that is the result of a demonic or spirit attachment, um, we need to rule out physical and psychological possibilities. We need to have some kind of psych eval to go on. We need to know what medications you're taking. We need to know what diagnosis you've received. And that's part of the assessment process as well. So do not be offended when, you know, before you even get your appointment, um, the office asks for either psychological papers or to bring them. Um, because sometimes we need them. Sometimes we don't, but a lot of times we do. And, um, believe me, we're going to definitely need them before we were to start uh, with a full, solemn rite of exorcism. You know, certain types of blessings and things wouldn't require them, um, per se. But, you know, it's nice to have that information. So, you know, that's a part of this. And if you come to an exorcist, you know, before you've even seen a psychologist or a medical doctor about some of the things, the symptoms that you're having then, you know, we will probably ask you to go and get that assessment before we proceed. A lot of times we get clients that come in, they act the ones that actually do show up to their appointments. And then, you know, after we conduct our initial interview, there's times where the problems could go either way. And so in those situations, we would ask them to go and see a psychologist and get an assessment. Because a lot of times we'll have people will say, oh, I've been and they didn't find anything wrong. What, what we need to have, we need to have proof of that. OK, because people lie to us and they lie to us all the time. And, um, you know, this policy stands. So that's one of the do's. Make sure that it's best even before you even go to us an exorcist, it would be best to get a psychological first. They'll probably find something wrong with you. And that doesn't mean there isn't something spiritual wrong with you. But it does give us an idea as to where the vulnerabilities are and whether or not we can rule out once and for all if it is psychological, okay? So that's number three for what to do. Number three for what not to do is melodramatic don't don't apply melodramatic behavior to win us over because it's not going to work we tend to sometimes see people act out in dramatic ways because they are so convinced that they need an exorcism again back to number 1 with self diagnosis that um you know as soon as they see that you're not you're not buying it then Either they, they, they're just done with you and they want to walk out of the office and never see you again or um, they will resort to the other extreme and start pretending to be demonically possessed or afflicted. Either way, don't do it because it's not going to win you any points with the exorcist. and In many cases, it's going to even lower your credibility and you'll get less of what you want. It is far better to always be honest and authentic during the interview process. The extras, believe me, does not need to see any dramatic things. He doesn't. Uh, If if you have a genuine situation, they will be able to detect it and they will know how to resolve it without you embellishing. Okay, so that's one that's not terribly common, but we've seen it from time to time. There is malingering in this. Sometimes it's worse now because of my notoriety from being on Travel channel um and even though you know there's only been three episodes of ghost adventures they, they they air them they re-air them all the time so you know chances are i'm on on any month and new people see me and that notoriety well it's it's gotten the word out that there is help it it's also unfortunately had the side effect that i think sometimes people just want to kind of be a feel like they're part of the show in some way by by if they came to and if the exorcist from ghost adventures you know assessed them it's like a i don't know a notch on their belt or something and um you know they 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 get some gratification out of that and that's you know again that's another it gets back to the kind of making an appointment and not showing up it wastes time um so You know, if you feel you have a spirit attachment, by all means, you know, reach out for help. But don't fake it just so that it's more convincing. Believe me, a skilled exorcist will be able to know without the melodrama. All right. Um, Number four for do. Do support the ministry that you go to financially because most credible exorcists do not charge for services okay there are many that do and if they do I would run the opposite direction because they're in it for the wrong reasons but that's not to say that operating a ministry of this kind is cheap and affordable or you know or should be completely free of charge to you the client You are still seeking the time, attention and expertise of usually if you're coming to me, you're coming to a group of seven people um, who are all taking time out of their lives to reach out to you and help you. Um, The least that you can do is support them, support the ministry that supports you. So, Again, this is something we see in this work often where they feel that, you know, religion should be free, spirituality should be free, and if he's not asking for money, then I'm not going to offer any. Um, You know, and honestly, that's really poor form because I can tell you the costs of running this ministry are astronomical. Even to this day, 10 years later, we are still in an operational deficit. We do not receive the monies that we need to operate correctly. And we're a long way from that because even once we've balanced the current expenditure budget, um, we still haven't paid salaries. Everybody in this church, including myself, works on a volunteer basis only. Some of us, like Sister, T- Sister Kateri and myself, do it full time. It's actually full time and a half. If you really count hour by hour and that we don't get paid anything for it, not a cent. Okay. All of it goes into the ministry operations, which are inadequate. Anything that we do get goes into ministry operations and it's inadequate. It doesn't support everything that needs to be done. Not to mention that getting regular monthly support, which is what we are desperately in, in need of so that we can form operational budgets. Um, are you know that's the one that we get the least of we'll get like one-time donations and uh, but you know weekly or monthly donations far and few between even the people that come to church often don't leave anything more than a, a change pocket change in the in the donation basket all right that makes it very hard for us to form a budget um and we need more support than that so if you're going to utilize an exorcist who's probably going to have to invest on average for a genuine case, let's say you have genuine demonic possession okay, on average your exorcist is going to probably have to invest close to 20 or 30 hours into you in order to get you from the point of where you're at to being fully healed and perhaps even more after the 30 hours is over to give you follow up help 30 hours of professional care, okay? And to not support him, to not support his ministry is very, very selfish on your part. So um, I will say that out of the number of people who seek our help, only a handful have ever actually supported the ministry in any extensive way, and out of you know out of that handful, only a few have given weekly or monthly after that. Or they'll do it for a while and they then they lose interest and discontinue their help. Um, don't let that be you. This costs money. Okay, it might not be they might not be asking for it. They might not be charging you, but if you're working if we're working on a completely donation base. Um level you owe it to them to support them and so that they can continue to help other people who need it and that gets us to number four of the don't don't be entitled. Don't come into the exorcist's office demanding this or demanding an appointment or thinking that because they've got a queue of fifty cases ahead of yours that somehow you have a worse case and that you deserve to be seen before everybody else. This is another big thing we see we you know people will call us, they'll ask for an appointment um they expect that they can be seen like tomorrow, and then my office will you know look at the schedule and tell them that you know give them if they when they when they finally get their appointment it's like two or three months out and they 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 flip out they have a, a conniption um because you know i i can't wait that long you know well yeah you and everybody else but you know it's interesting because these same people who are so demanding of us for our time, to get an instant appointment. they are also the same ones that don't even support the ministry. So it's like, well, maybe if we received regular support, then we could expand our office staff and we could actually reach more people more quickly. But that's not the case. We are only volunteers. Many of them have, unlike myself, but many of most of the people on my administration staff work full-time day jobs, and then have to do this. Okay. And that's because I can't afford to pay them. And I can't afford to pay them if people don't support this ministry. If they don't support this ministry, you can't complain when things don't happen the way you think they should happen. And be, we are an independent Catholic church. Um sometimes I think people think, "Oh, it's Catholic, so, you know, they've got all that those riches and in uh, the Vatican, you know, maybe they should sell a Michelangelo and, and then they'd be able to support the ministry. Well, we, first of all, we're not, we don't get financed by the Roman Catholic church, um, because we're not affiliated with them in any way other than spiritually, philosophically, apostolically, but not administratively, certainly not financially. Um, so don't come in demanding things. Because everyone that's there to help you, is, they're out of the kindness of their own heart. And they don't need to do it. We could all just say, you know what? Um, we're just, we're done. We're, we're tired of being unappreciated, which we are. We're tired of being disrespected, which we are. We're tired of being unsupported, which we are. Not at least adequately. God, thank you. I thank every day for the people who do support this ministry. Um, especially those who do so regularly, uh, we could not continue to operate without you. But the majority don't. How many times have I asked on this podcast if you like this show, support it? We don't, we don't see. I've, I'm not, I've yet to see a donation come in that says, "Oh, for the podcast." Maybe some of the you know random ones are for that, and they just didn't tell us. And if that is the case, then thank you. But um, no, we we don't we don't see the support that we need in order to do this ministry correctly. So don't be entitled. When you do ask for help, and we're not able to handle your case as efficiently or quickly as you'd like, the reason for that is because we don't have a full-time paid staff, and we and we need one desperately, but we can't afford to do it. And we are literally hundreds of thousands of dollars a month—I'm sorry, a year—away from we're hundreds of thousands of dollars in donations a year away from even being close to doing that. So we're a long way away, long. And way. that's
2: and that's one of the things that I think. Not a lot of people even realize, even if you're talking about one of the larger churches, like, say, the Episcopal Church, because, you know, I'm in in seminary. Um, I was studying to be an Episcopal priest, and one of the things that people don't seem to realize is it's not some big coffer where you dip your, your ladle in and get your share of the money. If your church itself is not solvent, it will go bankrupt and die and it will have to close and it will basically be your fault because you couldn't handle the money. And that's something that we had to learn, you know, when we're going into the ministry is how to wrangle the finances, because if you can't get your support out of your congregation, out of the people that you serve, then you don't get support. Even among the richer churches, they're not being financed by some larger, it's not a corporation. It, they have to be able to support themselves fully. And if they can't get that money, then they have to close. And there are a number of churches all over the place that have closed because of that reason. Oh, yeah. And We're... the the fact that you're even still operating with a budget of next to nothing really says something about the dedication in your heart. You know, that's one of the reasons why I keep trying to promote your your ministry is because, you know, you are going around not asking anyone for a dime and yet helping people who in many cases aren't even Christian, don't have faith. They just are in a spiritual crisis and they need that help and you are there for them. And that is something that I have heard so many people complain about. Why don't churches do this? Well, you're doing this and you're still not getting help, the help you want.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's, not, it's just not lucrative. Honestly, yeah. you know, whether you realize it or not, whether you want to accept it or not, um, church is a business structure. It is a nonprofit and nonprofits do operate on a business strategy. Um, because, you know, even though you're not making a profit, you still have to figure out, as joy there indicated, you still have to know how that your your accounts receivable are going to pay for your, you know, for all of your expenses. And if there's an imbalance there, just like a for-profit business, you know, it will close and go bankrupt for the same exact reasons. For-profit or non-profit doesn't mean that you know you're free. It just means that how the allocation of resources is that in a nonprofit, all of the monies are 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 there to go out towards the ministry. They're not retained in any way for like profit sharing uh, in in in, in uh, to shareholders and 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 the owners of the organization. Um, and and so you know the fact of the matter is, um, we are not solvent the reason that we keep going is because of as joy indicated also dedication and it's not just my dedication i want to make that very clear it's the dedication of not only those out there who do volunteer their time to this ministry but also those who are supporting it out of their pocket because you know what a lot of people don't realize is that all the clergy in this church they pay for it themselves. All of them. They don't get paid to do the work. They get they pay to do the work. That's not right. That's not fair. But that's the way it is. And it's a it's a, it's it's the result of the fact that a church does not have a service it can sell. It does not have a product it can sell. It has to depend ex- ex- exclusively on the kindness and charity of its members. And when those members fail to to do that. And in this case, you know, being able to work a ministry—that's uh, an outreach with exorcism. A, you know, it's it's the clients that have to pay. But we can't force them. We we can't say, you know, you don't get to see us unless you, you're paying, you know, uh, whatever fee we want to charge. No, we 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 can't. Okay, because you know, not that not that exorcism is simony simony would be more along the lines of like selling the sacraments that's absolutely prohibited you could never like charge for baptism you can't charge for eucharist um that's extremely immoral but um you know exorcism a church shouldn't charge for it but they're under no obligation to offer it either and if you're looking at it from the vantage point of 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 departments and what departments make money and which departments cost money Exorcism is just pure drain. So this is why most churches won't do it because they just, it does not pay for itself. The negative parts of ministry don't tend to pay for itself. If you make people feel good, if you lie to them, you know, tell them that God wants you to be rich, then yeah, you'll be Joel Austin with more money than you know what to do. And you'll have your private planes taking you all over the place and you'll live a great, comfortable life. No question about that. As long as you keep lying to people, people will pay to hear those lies. But see, you don't have that luxury with exorcism ministry because it's just it's just all pure negativity and nobody wants to pay to be told that, you know, they have to actually now start to do some work, which gets which gets us out of, of the next one, it brings us to um, number five. Um, do follow every instruction given to you in your treatment plan by your exor- exorcist, even if you don't Agree with it. That's a very important do. You will, depending upon what your situation is, be given a treatment plan by your exorcist, a course of action moving forward. And you are expected to follow that to the letter, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not. It is what is necessary for your healing. If you do not follow it, you will not get better. And you cannot blame your exorcist when it fails. Because if you don't do what he tells you to do, then he can't help you. Remember what I said earlier? He is a facilitator. He's not a magician. Okay? He's not going to do the work for you. He will basically perform the spiritual CPR that's necessary to resuscitate you, get you going again. But now the aftercare is all on you. And if you're not willing to follow the treatment plan, yes, you're going to get sick again or you're not going to ever get better. And I I, I, I would say a handful of people, although it's, I, that number is growing, we once, when we first started, uh, we had a perfect 100% success rate. And we still actually do amongst the people that actually listen to us. But in recent years, we've been seeing an increasing number of clients coming to us who are just not interested in the treatment plan. They just want to come they want some kind of exorcism performed and they want the problem to just go away overnight. And then when you start to give them work to do and tell them that there's responsibilities that they need to live up to now, then they start to take it out on you. Oh, he couldn't help me. Oh, he's useless. That exorcist doesn't even know what he's doing. He couldn't do anything. I'm going to go find someone else. And then they start looking into other alternatives. And let me tell you, the alternatives out there are scary. Okay, they're frightening. Um, that's what we see. So when you have or when you're given your treatment plan, you got to follow it. If you're not going to follow whatever you are told to do, don't even bother going. You're wasting the exorcist's time because there are people that will do what the exorcist tells them. And those are the people that really need, you know, deserve uh, the attention. Okay. Not if you're not going to follow it. This is a big problem with us in particular. Because we are not really servicing, um, we serve a very small number of Roman Catholics. Most of the people that come to us are from other types of denominations or traditions or don't practice anything at all, which is part of the problem, actually. Um, and, you know, there's only so much we can do. Roman Catholics tend to be the best clients, honestly. And the only reason they're coming to us is because their own Roman Catholic parishes have not taken them seriously, have not helped them. Calls have not gone unanswered. This is a regular problem. We hear it all the time. It's unfortunate. Should not be happening. But thank God we are there to help those um, who need that help. And, um, you know, but you still got to do your end of it. You got to you got to it's it's. I like to look at it if you're looking at it from a ratio point of view. All right. I would say your healing is 25% dependent on the exorcist and 75% dependent upon you and your willingness to get better. Which brings us to the fifth don't. Don't think you know more about your problem than your exorcist. You're going to him because of his professional expertise. You don't go in there, kind of gets us back to self-diagnosis. You're not going in there because, um, you know, you think that you just want validation, although I think some people do come to us for validation. They just want to be told that, yeah, guess what? It wasn't psychological, it was spiritual. And then don't try to... Don't fight your exorcist. Don't try to complain and say the diagnosis is wrong. Um, trust in the process and let him help you. You do not know more about your problem than he does. Trust me. He is trained and skilled and knows how to help you. He cannot do that if you think you know more than he does. It's kind of like. Twitter phenomenon. How many times do people ask me questions on Twitter and then somebody comes in and answers it and they answer it completely wrong? Completely wrong. Um, you know, somebody was asking about baptism this week on Twitter. And they wanted to know if you're baptized as a baby, do you you know, do you need to be baptized again as an adult? They were wondering about the difference between being christened and being baptized and if there is a difference and like no and then somebody else came on and said oh yes absolutely you need to be baptized as an adult when you accept lord your lord jesus uh, you know you you accept jesus as your lord and savior and, that and was like an, that,
2: that was a distinct anabaptist uh idea which of course uh if you're not familiar with church history the anabaptists believed that it was perfectly okay to baptize someone again if yeah. they didn't you know they didn't know what they were doing the first time. Oh, you were an infant. Well, now you're an adult, and you have to make this conscious decision. So we're going to baptize you again. Well, there's only one baptism for the forgiveness of sins.
1: That's part of the Council and that, of Nicaea, and that was
2: established in Council of Nicaea,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah. the Nicene Creed. Nicene Creed. It's right there, right there in we. we every Catholic and Orthodox recites that every. Um, Sunday, Uh, uh, correct me, but I I believe the Episcopal Church does as well, do they not? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know,
2: it's part of the liturgy.
1: Part of the liturgy. So it's right there, one baptism, because there was one death and one resurrection. There weren't multiple. Christ didn't have to come back and die several times. Christ didn't rise from the dead several times. It, it, It was one sacrifice to end all sacrifices, which means our participation in that sacrifice is. Only requires one act of grace, and that is the act of baptism. So, you know, this person came on, and, you know, honestly, if it was an open forum where we were just talking religion, then yeah, okay, come on in, give your thoughts, give your opinions, but don't come to a Catholic exorcist page and then start answering questions for him with your own personal worldview that you know does not align with the ancient teaching of the church you know that irritates me that irks me when i see that um and that's what we see also in this ministry people that come to me thinking they know more about their problems than i do and if you think you know more than me then why do you, why are you bothering me go go solve your own problem if you're if you're if you're so knowledgeable and skillful you don't need me i mean why why waste my time just go handle it why are you contacting me at all if you're not interested in what I have to say about it? Because they're looking for validation. Okay, and so sometimes people people's egos are hurt when you don't validate what they think it is or what they want it to be. And um, and sometimes they don't like the treatment plan that comes with it, which we're going to actually get to here in a moment. Um, let's do one more and then we'll take a break. Um, number six Do expect conventional medical and psychological assistance to be part of the healing process. Just because you have a spiritual crisis does not mean there are not physical, emotional, and psychological consequences to that. That's normal. Okay, Believe me, you're not going to go through the trauma of a demonic oppression or attachment or possession without emotional and psychological consequences you just won't there are going to be some and sometimes your own emotional and psychological and medical vulnerabilities open you up to demonic attack and then the best way to handle that is for each category to be dealt with according to the expertise of the category so if in the course of a demonic event, you are having medical problems, let's say you're, you're, you're suffering from severe migraines, okay, um, go see a neuro-ophthalmologist. You know, go see a neurologist and follow his care. If he puts you on some kind of medication, imitrex or something, take it. Don't discontinue your medication because now the exorcist has validated that you have a spiritual issue. Work with the entire treatment team, which might include your medical doctor, which might include your psychologist or psychiatrist, which might include your exorcist or the team that works with your exorcist in follow-up. Okay? Um, Don't discount the conventional just because... The spiritual has been validated. We see that sometimes. People want to make it all spiritual. Well, nothing's all spiritual. Okay. If you have a stomach ache, um, it might have been caused by a demon. But guess what? Even if it was caused by a demon, um, taking some Pepto-Bismol is still going to help. Okay. So there's no harm in treating each aspect of the problem according to convention. So I always tell people, if you, are going, if you are seeing a medical doctor, if you are already being treated for some of the symptoms that you think are part of the spiritual crisis, do not discontinue seeing the doctor. Do not discontinue any of his treatment. You work with the exorcist alongside the conventional procedure. Okay, that's absolutely vital.
2: It's like one of the things that you teach in class, you know, as above, so below, whatever's happening in the spiritual world manifests physically. So it's some, you know, if you have a physical illness that, you know, is tied to this, you know, entity that has attached to you and, you know, you've got these other psychological issues, everyone knows now that psycho- psychological issues can result in physical issues as well. We have anxiety leading to stress, leading to high blood pressure. You know, all of those are physical things, but they can be brought on by psychiatric things. And of course, the psyche is right there with the spirit. You know, it's all connected together, we tend to want to say it's either one or the other and keep those completely separated. But if we're going to heal the whole person, we have to heal the whole person, not just their spirit, not just their psyche, not just their body. And that's why, you know, when we talk about wanting to make that spiritual hospital, I mean, we would have to have not just spiritual caregivers on staff, but medical caregivers and psychological caregivers, because those are going to have to work all hand in hand to provide more healing for that person so they can recover.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, there's what you say there's so pertinent and so true. And yes, I mean, I'm not sure all of you are aware that one of our ultimate goals uh, in this ministry are to establish a spiritual hospital where people can come from all over the world to be healed from their various afflictions of a demonic or spiritual nature. um, You know, and that's because of the first one, the first do, that it's a process, okay? It's always a process. And I can't just go, like, I can, you know, I can't just have somebody come visit me for a day and and just perform a blessing or an exorcism and expect that now they can go home and it's all going to go away. Um, you know, it would be great if we, they could come and spend time and have a place to stay, a place that can take care for th- they, they can care for them through the process. And so that's where we were talking about, you know, someday having a spiritual um, uh, hospital set up to be able to assist people with that type of um, situation. But, uh, you know, we're a long ways away from that, unfortunately, because of the financial aspects and the lack of support we get. So um, we're doing the best that we can, and that's all we can do. Anyway, this is Bishop Ryan Ouellette for Vestiges of Christianity. We'll be right back here in just a moment and uh, finish up the do's and don'ts and start taking your questions from the chat as well as Twitter. Stay tuned. Back, everybody this is bishop brian willette with co-host joy keeling as we discuss the do's and don'ts of paranormal investigation got some interesting questions or actually comments in the chat room that i'll cover as well hopefully you can hear me now over the music did it work better let me know we'll be uh exploring different avenues as we move on here but uh Let's go ahead and uh, looking where Julie says it's annoying when when people think of the church as it's a business on the riches of the Vatican. Um, And, you know, the church does so much to help people out there around the world. I mean, honestly, uh, you know, that is absolutely so true um, because, you know. Why don't you just go after the Smithsonian? You know, I think the Hope Diamond is in the Smithsonian, if I'm not mistaken. Um, You know, why don't... Absolutely, that's where I saw it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, if... (laughs) Why don't we sell that and go and give that money to poor Americans? Uh, We can't because, you know, these are national treasures. They are to be protected uh, for posterity. They are priceless in many ways. Um, And the same thing goes for... The Vatican, I mean, all of the treasures, the Michelangels, everything that is part of the Vatican is part of the, the you know, they belong to humanity. They, they, they're just stored in as the Vatican's a custodian to these objects, but they don't really have the right to sell them for money just because they happen to be there. Um you know, the Vatican is also a country, the Vatican City. And so, the, the, you know, these are protected objects just like the objects in the Smithsonian are protected objects. And we can't just, like, sell them. Um, it's it's
2: kind of like that argument, well, we could have sold that ointment and, and given the money to the poor. You know, that argument that <laughs> uh, Judas made. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. It is like that, you know. And what does Jesus say? The poor you'll always have with you, but me will not always be with you and um you know maybe we need to focus back on personal responsibility instead of always looking for somebody else to take care of our responsibilities and that's really what it comes from when people say oh you know the roman catholic church is so rich they don't need the money well no that's basically you trying to justify the fact that you're too cheap to give it and i hear too many times when people say Oh, I would give, but I've got this going on. When this gets better, I will give something. I, and you'll have no mean times. So How many times I hear that. And guess what? They never give. It never gets better. It never reaches their perfect comfort zone where they're like, okay, now I'm at a point where I can start giving and helping. They never do. There's always an excuse. Don't give me excuses. I don't want to hear excuses, okay? If you don't want to help, don't help. Just be honest with me. I don't want to help. And that's fine. But don't be coming to us for help because there are people who do deserve uh, a free ride because they are legitimately in need and they can't afford to do much. So we need to be there for them. There are a lot of people who try to skate under the radar and take that same approach that somehow they're in desperate need of, of help. And yet they can't afford anything, you know, but, you know, they're they're living in, you know, $6,000, I'm sorry, six, six uh, thousand square foot houses. You know, I'm sorry. I don't buy it. And then your excuses don't mean anything. Churches need your support. They can't operate without them. Okay, Um, number six on don't. And this is kind of relates back to the do for number six. Don't dismiss the psychological and emotional aspects of spiritual crisis. Okay, so just like you wouldn't dismiss, or that you should expect that the conventional medical and psychological treatment is part of your um, success, you know, part of your treatment plan overall. The same thing is don't dismiss the psychological and emotional and medical effects of your spiritual crisis on your health. That needs to be cared for as well. We have a lot of clients. You know, uh, I've talked about this on the show before. It's worth mentioning again now. You know, when you... Encounter a demonic presence, a genuine one that latches on, attaches to you, perhaps causes demonic oppression or at the very least demonic obsession. It's going to make you sick because your not your vibrational alignment as a creature of creation being made in the image of God. It doesn't is not compatible with the demonic realm, which is actually aligns to the destruction, destructive principle of the universe okay there there's nothing compatible about those two energy streams It's like matter and antimatter coming together, and it will make you sick okay and the sickness is actually as physical as it would be it 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 would work the same way as if it was just an illness without any spiritual causation, so you gotta take care of the whole gamut okay your 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 spiritual health. Is dependent upon your emotional, psychological, and physical health. So I always tell people, you know, when you go, you know, particularly with demonic, or rather with paranormal investigators, I tell them you should never go on a investigation. Not that I endorse or condone lay or recreational paranormal investigating. I don't actually, I don't condone it. Um, But the fact of the matter is. People are going to do it. So if you're going to do it, let's make sure that you're the best prepared that you can be for it. And so what we end up doing when it comes to um, this type of thing is I suggest, guess what? Take a 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C before every investigation. I think when the first time I told my team that, they laughed at me. I, to this day, bet they don't do it. Maybe some of them do. Maybe some of them listened. But I would imagine the greater majority do not remember do not care or don't think they need to. It's unfortunate um, because you need to take care of your physical. Okay, because coming in contact with demonic energy is going to be almost identical to coming in contact with a virus. It will lower your immune system. If you are having a lower immune system, you're going to be more vulnerable to that type of attack. So you strengthen everything with conventional means. Okay, and that same, same thing goes true for getting better. You need to strengthen your immune system in order to get better spiritually as well because it all works together as one cohesive system. So exercise, you really should be exercising regularly. You should eat well. You should um, load up on vitamin C and vitamin B complex. All these things actually do help strengthen you uh, physically, which helps to strengthen you emotionally and psychologically, uh, which eventually leads to strengthening your spiritual constitution. Um, so number seven for dues, expect things to worsen before they get better, expect things to worsen before they get better. Okay. Why? Because of the process. I have un- another big one. This is a big pet peeve of mine. Client comes. Make, you know, they make, they, they make their appointment. They actually show up. They're on time. We do the assessment. We give them a treatment plan. They're all willing to follow the treatment plan. Everything sounds good. And then you tell them, expect that, you know, usually within um, the next three days could be extremely heightened of activity, more than what you're used to, and you're going to think nothing worked, nothing helped, nothing, you know, and then you're going to get scared and and you're going to want us to rush out there to help you. But you have to expect that this is going to happen. And it can last for up to two weeks. So when we start working with a new client and we start a treatment plan, we always tell them, expect. Sometimes, you know, the first shot works and, you know, you get a miracle. And uh, those are the times where I say, you know, get down on your hands and knees and thank God. But more often than not, it's a process. And so, you know, expect that for the next three days, it's going to be a lot worse and then it could continue to be bad for another week or two before it starts to improve. So in order for us to do our assessment, we need to actually follow that process to know what's working, what's not working, how it's getting better, how it's getting worse and we need that time frame to assess. But you can't just come to us and you know start the process and then a day later, your contact is saying, oh, it's so bad, we need your help, why don't you come down here? Because... We're assessing, and we need to know exactly what you're dealing with. And yes, when you agitate, it's like putting salt in a wound, okay? When you agitate a potential demonic or wrathful spirit, it's going to act out until it eventually just can't stand being in the presence of a blessed object or holy water or exercise salt or an oil or whatever, you know, I've prescribed for your situation. Eventually, it'll break off and leave, okay? Okay? But, and then only the strong ones remain, the persistent ones, the ones that have a personal vendetta, typically. And that's where you know we start to have to look at exorcism. But we we don't start with that. We 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 start with just you know the 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 the, the, the least severe methodology, the one that's the you know going to be the the easiest one to get through for everybody involved, and see if it works but they always want like instant results. It gets back to the magical thinking. Okay, Don't let that be you. Understand that things will get worse before they get better almost always, and that's normal, and that's to be expected, and that doesn't mean that the exorcist didn't help, and it doesn't mean that the blessing didn't work. In fact, it means that it is working. Okay, It's just like, uh, let's use another medical analogy, it's just like when you have cancer, you pro- might feel completely fine not even know you have cancer. And then you go to your doctor and they find that there's cancer and then the treatment is going to, let's say, be chemotherapy. Well, guess what? Chemotherapy is going to make you feel like crap. That doesn't mean that, you know, the treatment's not working. It actually means that you're getting the necessary treatment for the type of problem that you have. Okay.
2: And, And I have a question. Yeah. When you, when you have a, a person who's encountering these problems you know, for days and weeks after their initial interaction with you, doesn't that help you pinpoint what type of entity, what kind of approach you would need?
1: Yes, absolutely true. Um, and we need that information. It's part of the assessment process. And, um, yeah, if we were to just rush in and start doing exorcisms, well, let me tell you, there's, there's, there are entities out there that are bad news for human beings that actually respond more effectively to other types of solutions than exorcism. And we would not know what we're dealing with if we don't follow through with the whole plan of action to see how the entity or the alleged entity responds to the, the various stages of, of the treatment plan. So, yes, it does help us pinpoint because like, for example, if we have a person who is describing something that sounds like a demonic infestation um, and yet, you know, we give them some tools to work with, they go home, they use them correctly and then it gets really bad. But then, you know, after two weeks, it's gone. Then we know that we did with the least minimal amount of 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 intervention. We solve the problem. Um, But if it's continuing to go on after two weeks or it's gotten worse after two weeks, um, then we know that we're dealing with something that's more serious than perhaps a wrathful spirit or or just a classic haunting or something that would be much easier to resolve. Um, Then we know we're dealing with something more malignant. And that information gives us a great deal to work with. So... Yeah, I never discount, um, you know, know, the the stages of the process just because a client wants something to be, they want to be free of it more quickly. Well, you know what, being part of a church community and acting out your faith, particularly as a Christian, is going to do far more for you than having to resort to spiritual intervention on behalf of an exorcist. I can be completely honest. People ask me all the time, how how do you how do you break an attachment? How do you do, you know, uh, how how can I protect myself? This is a big question. We're actually going to do a show on it. But I'll give you guys who are listening to this episode a little bit of a foretaste. And honestly, I've said it on Twitter recently. I'm going to say it again. All right. Make sure that you're baptized. That's number 1. Number 2, Receive Eucharist daily if possible weekly if that's all you can get to because of you know you might live in a rural area or be far from the church or maybe the church that you go to does not have um, daily Eucharist there are some out there in the smaller towns that don't Um, at least weekly okay Um, but you should be going to every mass and uh, I mean every required mass Uh, daily rosary pray the rosary every day and go to reconciliation the sacrament of reconciliation or confession um, as um, often as you need it but minimally two times a year okay do that and you do it with confidence in your faith you do it with cultivation in your relationship with Christ you will never have a demonic attachment, ever. Okay? The only way you would have one is if you did not do those things. And sometimes, you know, you come late to the party. But when you meet an exorcist like myself who teaches you what you need to do, start doing it. And listen. And it might take a while to develop the grace that you need to move forward. But um, that's okay. It's all about getting well again. And, um, And so, you know, Understand that thing to take away from this is that just because things got worse doesn't mean it's not working. And sometimes that actually means it is working. Which brings us to the last don't. Don't think the exorcist can cure you without your participation. Okay? If you think the exorcist is going to do all the work, you are greatly mistaken. The number one thing that I prescribe. When people come to me with a demonic, genuine demonic event, regardless of severity or what kind of thing it might be, is I tell them, you need to start coming to mass and I don't want to hear it. The Catholics don't tend to mind. They will usually go to their own Roman Catholic parishes, which is perfectly fine. I'm not there to steal people from the Roman Catholic church. I just want them to receive the sacraments. You can come to my church. We have a mission church. And we have, you know, uh, usually one or two Masses a week, sometimes more during the holier times of year, but at least one or two a week. And you can receive Eucharist with us, particularly if you're not really a big church person or, you you know, I understand parish politics and not every parish is all that great. Um, So we try to, you know, have a very small type of operation for people like that to get well. Come. Don't stop coming when things get better because that's absolutely the opposite. You're 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 coming back to develop that relationship. That relationship has to be cultivated continuously for the rest of your life. You can't do that without the help of the church. Don't give me this spiritual but not religious bullshit. Okay, that is bullshit. Okay. I've said this before on Twitter. Spirituality is the power Behind religion, It's what powers your religion, but you need your religion to actually harness that power and use it. It's kind of like putting gasoline into a car. Okay, your whole idea of using a ch- uh, the whole idea of church and spirituality is that between your fuel, which is your spirituality and your car, which is your church is to get you to heaven, which is the destination that you get into your car for. Don't tell me you have a big tank of fuel. And that's all you need to get to your destination. No, it's not going to work unless you put the fuel into a car. I get, this, I get this all the time. I hear people refute me all the time. Don't bother. I will never accept your refutation of that. Believe me, I used to be one of those spiritual without religion type of people. It doesn't work. You're self-deluding yourself when you don't have a religion to keep you in within the framework of consistency it, that's required.
2: Basically, to take that analogy a little bit further, yeah. if, if they had that tank of gas and then just decided, you know, I'm just going to detach this tank of gas and spread it everywhere instead of having a car, which is a structure to put it through, where that structure would provide a com- internal combustion engine and make the wheels go but instead you decided to spread the the fuel all over the place and light it on fire and now you have a great big bonfire yay let's roast marshmallows yeah but you're not going anywhere you're just lighting a fire and it's burning in its one spot
1: and see i love that analogy because it's exactly what happens in the terms of self-delusion that i'm talking about because Yes, if you just take all that fuel and you just light it on fire, you're going to have this spectacular display and you're going to think, wow, this is really doing something. I don't need the religion anymore. I don't need the car. All I need is just give me a bunch of gas and let's just, you know, let's let's start committing some arson here. Um, Yeah, it'll create some great dramatic effects. But you end up just burning everything down. In the end, you've got nothing left. You've destroyed any chance you had at getting to your destination. In fact, if you're not careful, you might have destroyed the destination too. Um, yeah. and, and see, this is the thing: uh, we, we you, you can't do that. You can't do that. Uh, you need religion, okay? You can hate religion all you want. You can hate on it all you want. But religion's like a gun okay guns don't kill people people kill people with guns guns don't kill people because they have minds of their own same thing with religion religion yes it causes a lot of problems in the world and a lot of people think we'd be better off without religion but it's not true in fact maybe even a better analogy between religion and um and 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 uh some other thing that is useful would be maybe like a like a uh a chainsaw okay Chainsaw, extremely dangerous piece of equipment. You definitely don't want to just let anyone use it. You want to know how to use it. You want to know how to use it safely. You want to be in your right mind when you're doing it. Okay, and it could be misused. Yeah, you could take a chainsaw and create a chainsaw massacre with it. But the fact of the matter is it's not the chainsaw that's dangerous or evil as much as it is the inadequacy and incompetence of the user. So just because there's a lot of incompetent users of religion doesn't make religion evil. Okay, it doesn't make it less useful. It just has to be skillfully applied as everything in life needs to be skillfully applied um and if you can't do that, then you need to seek help with how to do that um and that's where we leave it. so we've got another half hour here or or thereabouts um to kind of talk about some questions so um Joy, what do we have? What's What's been going on? What's been in people's minds this week?
2: Well, let's see. There was somebody um, not long before the podcast who asked if an exorcism is the same thing as deliverance.
1: That's a good question. Um, the Protestant denominations will tend to use them interchangeably almost. In fact, they don't like the word exorcism as much because it sounds too Catholic and they'll, they'll use deliverance, which... Gives it sort of almost like a more relaxed laity type of approach. Um, But in reality, they are two different things. Uh, Deliverance is informal prayer. Anybody can offer it. Um, You can pray over somebody. You can pray for Christ to intervene in their life, to intercede in their life against any kind of demonic influence. And prayer groups can utilize this. Even in the Roman Catholic Church, we have that. We have a deliverance during a formal solemn exorcism, we would have a deliverance prayer group at working at the same time, um, usually praying the rosary or something like that to help. Um, but, um, you know, deliverance would be mostly useful for uh, minor attachments. Um, they do not help people who are possessed. And that's where you get into the formality of exorcism. And exorcism is a formal rite that, um, where the the demonic entity is violently extracted from the victim. And in my case, we take it a step further and destroy it. Okay. Um, so they're, they're different, even though the semantics gets confused, kind of like the difference between a spirit and a soul. Everyone uses that interchangeably now too, but they're two very different things, both Hmm. to the agents and even how we look at things metaphysically. Nice. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, Another question we had was, um, do you believe there are no animals in heaven? Souls go to heaven. Where do animal spirits go?
1: Oh, I remember this one. And and that's something that we intended to talk about on one of the previous episodes. But I guess we got carried away. Yeah. (laughs) And we never actually covered it. Um, This is a question I get a lot. People have their beloved pets. I am no exception. Um, We've got three cats here. And, um, you know, you get attached to your pets. They become members of your family, and um, people cannot bear the thought that uh, they would not be able to see them in the afterlife, considering since our time with our pets is really relatively so short. You know, you get a big dog. Uh, you know, you're lucky if you get 11 years with a big dog. A uh, cat might give you twice that time if you're lucky, um, but typically, you know, an indoor cat, Sixteen, seventeen years is is pushing it um, outdoor cat forget it you 're looking at probably eight years. Um, you know, so you don 't get a lot of time with your pets and you want to be able to see them again, just like your other loved ones, your human loved ones so it 's a natural thing. problem is there is this little thing in Christian theology that shows that the type of soul that a human being has access to. Is one that involves reason. It's a special kind of soul, okay? Um, And we are the only part of the creation that was made in God's image. Animals are not made in God's image, okay? And the only reason that why we have the ability to be immortal, eternal, is because we're made in God's image. That's how we were originally designed. Animals were not designed to be immortal. Animals were designed to serve man's needs. And so um, there was a different purpose, different function. And guess what? Animals are okay with that Um, because actually they're more aligned through their instinct with the natural process of things than we are when we can intellectualize ourselves into all sorts of anxieties and depressions. So, you know, the reality is animals do not contain... Or let me ma- let me make let me choose my because I semantics I complain so much about <laughs> semantics I need to choose my own very carefully. Animals do not have a soul. Humans do not have a soul. Humans, well, a souls have humans, <laughs> but souls do not have animals. Okay. Now. We'll have to do a vestiges after dark on that distinction later on if you feel if anyone out there feels they need more elaboration on that. however, that being said, there is another wonderful little thing about God's grace that gives us um some hope here so again, because human beings were made in God's image, which means that we were originally designed to be immortal, and thus we have the proclivity to be immortal as soon as soon as we can remove the consequence of an original sin that has damaged that natural cosmic function, um, we can then proceed to eternal life through the grace that's offered in Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Animals don't have... They, well, they, they, they didn't fall from grace. Um, they now suffer the consequences of our fall from grace because our fall from grace didn't only just wreck ourselves, but it wrecked the cosmos too. So now that brought death into everything. Before, there was just, animals were just basically dissipation. And they are still dissipation. I mean, they die, dissipate. Same thing with the unsaved. As we discussed on previous episodes here about you know what happens after death, we've already covered the fact that when a person who is not Um, in a state of grace does not die in a state of grace they will enter into a state of dissipation after death and they just break apart the energy part of them is recycled and then redistributed into a new individual this is honestly the reality of reincarnation but it's not the same person that comes back it's just the energy that comes back and the energy has imprints that can sometimes give a person a memory of what that energy was attached to before but in reality, it's completely new person, okay? So there really is. The church is correct. There's only one life to live. And um, so what's eternal life? Well, eternal life is forming a state of permanence where that energy is, yes, recycled, but it's recycled back into you so that it re- you retain your integrity, body, spirit, and soul, which ultimately leads to the resurrection of the dead at the end of time when Christ returns and the parousia occurs. Um, so what happens to the animals? Well, normally the animals just dissipate. Okay. This is why you don't typically have like hauntings from your Thanksgiving day turkey. Okay. The bones and the carcass that you throw into your trash can after a wonderful Thanksgiving meal don't come back and haunt you. Why? Because animals, particularly those raised for the purpose of human consumption are just, uh, just dissipate okay well oh, i
2: don't know i've I've had some meals come back and haunt me
1: <laughs> well that's a that's a special case um but you know typically speaking your 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 turkey um you won't see your turkey you know all of a sudden clucking its way um you know through the, your um your uh, living room at you know at night unless you maybe the uh you know your your meal was you had a little too much to drink, um, or the tryptophan got a little uh, your know, tryptophan levels got a little too high. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I realistically speaking, um, animals that were cultivated for human consumption dissipate almost immediately upon slaughter, and that's it. What about pets, though? Pets are a little bit different, right? Because we develop a relationship with them, and we get to share some of our divine life with them through that relationship just as christ shares his divine life with us through the relationship we cultivate with him so that creates a different dynamic for these animals and our love of them can create a type of spiritual attachment this might be perhaps the only kind of attachment that can be seen as beneficial but if a person if a person's heaven and we know heaven to be a place of perfection. In other words, the, it's perfection in every, cons- in, in, in every conceivable way. That heaven has to be complete in every conceivable way for those who participate in it. So if your completion requires your the presence of your pet, then the grace that you passed on in that relationship to that pet can raise them as well. And so, therefore, our pets can participate in the joys of heaven if we need them to be there. But otherwise, animals just dissipate. And yes, Joe says, a good. Joe, Joe means it gives a good point in the chat room. He says this explains why there's no dinosaur ghosts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they dissipated long ago. Long ago. Um, uh, hope that answers the question. Um, I don't know if there's any more that we can say about that. You have any other thoughts, yeah. Joy, in that one?
2: i not on that topic, no.
1: All right, well, let's move on to the next one.
2: Okay. Um, well, there's a question from Joe. Uh, I'd be interested in hearing from the bishop and co-host Joy about Joy's health issues and possible connection to her path getting closer to God. Is it a form of attack or am I way off base here to the possibility?
1: Well, I'll let you answer that one, and then if I have <laughs> anything to contribute, I'll I'll come in. But I'll let you respond to that.
2: Um. Well, I I I do believe that my health issues are connected to all of the uh, growth that I'm I'm trying to do, also all the healing I'm trying to do. Um. I'm not sure how much information. I should really give, um, (laughs) I, I have had issues with a spirit attachment and, uh, recovering from that has required all of the things that we discussed earlier, talking to a medical professional, talking to a psychiatric professional, talking to spiritual professionals, you know, there's a lot of healing that goes into that, even if it's just a small thing. If you're not sure how to handle those things or how all of that comes together, it's going to be a new process for you. Well, I, I've had some health issues and they mostly arose after the attachment started. I, I didn't really notice them anytime time before then. So, you know, going through that healing process and one of the reasons why I, I I'm fine with, you know, coming forward and saying, yeah, I'm a client is because this is something that can really happen to anyone. You know, there are a lot of people who think, you know, oh, well, if I go out there and investigate, you know, I'm not going to have any kind of problems or, or maybe I'm not in tune enough to get those problems, but you could, anytime you go out, something like that could happen. And you don't even have to go out and, and do something that would invoke that sort of thing. These things happen and it's part of life. And you know, you can get sick spiritually just like you would get sick physically. It all comes together. And you know yeah, And it's
1: nothing to be ashamed of, you know, no. I mean just any more than you know, catching the flu is, is something exactly. to be ashamed of.
2: Exactly. And one of the things that I've been trying to do is uh Basically recording whatever it is I'm experiencing so that at some point I can write all of this down because I want to help people who are going through spiritual attachments and, and, uh, having those, you know, attacks and, telling this was the kind of thought pattern that I was having. These are the kinds of things that would that I would experience. These were the kinds of sicknesses I would experience so that when other people encounter that, they can see that in themselves and either get the help they need or understand that this is all part of that process that they need to understand from, you know, the beginning of the do's, understand this is a process. And it takes, you know, a while. And you have to, you know take that instruction and make it part of you and integrate that healing aspect and keep that going because that is what makes you strong. So I am in the process of learning how to be strong.
1: And that is 90%, if not more of exorcism ministry is restrengthening the person's natural it's almost again getting back to those medical analogies which are always always just so pertinent and so they parallel so well they fit so nicely together is that it's like strengthening a person's immune system you know i mean spiritual attack demonic attack is like vulnerabilities that make you sick and so the doctor once the disease has gotten under control. It's about teaching the person how not to get sick again and how to prevent this from occurring in the future. Um, and honestly, if if people just did these things, primary prevention would be all that's ne- needed, and, and exorcism would 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 really just be in the most extreme of circumstances. You'd only be at this point those who are, um, you know, compromised in some other way that's entirely. Outside of their realm of control, you know there are people who just... Well, I, I have to say this very carefully, but there is a certain amount of necessary intellect to cultivate a relationship with God at a, at, at at the highest level, at the level that we're called to. Okay, and those who are just not functioning. Intellectually, at that capacity, struggle. That's not their fault. That's just a pre, a genetic pre, predisposition that becomes a a a um, a deficit that a certain personal cross to carry. But it does leave them vulnerable. It does. And this is actually why you will see that you know it's very high functioning scientists you know, who are atheists, no spirituality to speak of, don't want one, don't need one, don't care about it, hate it in fact. And it's like they don't have these problems typically. And that's because their intellectual strength is serves as a type of protection. Um now that doesn't mean if you have a demonic attack Uh, you're stupid, and it doesn't mean if you're stupid you're going to be demonically attacked. Not at all. But what I am saying is there is there is an intellectual side that is necessary for the successful cultivation of a relationship with God. He gave you a brain to use it. And many of us have gotten very lazy and slothful in terms of how we apply. And some of us are very intelligent. We just don't we don't We don't use it. Some of us don't have it to use. And that's just an unfortunate part of, you know, the nature of of the human condition. But what I am trying to say here um, is that understand that there are going to be elements to the healing process that does require an understanding of God. It's not just enough to f- go through the motions. It's not just enough to read the Bible and hope that you get it. You have to, you have to take it into yourself. You have to reach the point of, of understanding. And if you pray for that grace, you will be given it. I promise you, you will be given it. But there is an intellectual side to it. And we can't discount that. I think too, many, too, too often people discount that part of it. it because it is. I mean, philosophy is complicated. Theology is complicated. Um, it doesn't belong to the highest realms of academia for nothing. But all that stuff can help you to avoid these kind of problems. Now, you know, Joy, I really appreciate you being open and honest about your own personal struggle with um, spirit attachment. And um, I think, you know, it is very helpful for others to hear that, that somebody who is very, uh, I mean, you you are, whether you accept it or not, a brilliant person. And, um, you know, you are, you, you understand theology in ways that, uh, you know, I've met priests that are not able to understand it as well as you do. Um, so how could somebody like you, you know, suffer something like this and then it comes down to the fact that there are people that are targeted specifically by the demonic because of their usefulness. And that is something to consider as well. So, you know...
2: And And of course, you know, when I encountered this... You know, and realized, oh, my gosh, I need help. I need to go see the bishop like now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was so scared because I thought, man, I'm I'm trying to go into this field. And here I am afflicted by it. But then I thought about it and it was like, you know, I could use this experience to help other people to be able to connect to people who are going through it and yeah. say, look, I've been there. And also to say, you know, hey, this doesn't need to have a stigma attached to it. We're trying to heal everybody here. And it doesn't matter what you've been through. What matters is where you're going and and what you're doing from this moment forward.
1: Well said. Well said. And I hope you take that. I hope everyone out there takes that advice because, you know, this is. Yeah, what, what what how's it go a pound of prevention i mean a, uh, an ounce of prevention provides a pound of cure something like that something um, like that yeah uh, there's nowhere is it more true than in this type of ministry so keep that all in mind uh we probably have time to take one more uh question if there is one
2: well i know joe asked another question about uh was a- while back, let's keep scrolling. Okay, just from watching the Ghost Adventures episodes, or basically any other paranormal show, it appears to me that these people and families don't regularly practice their faith, pray, or have a daily relationship with God. So and, he, he's yeah. talking
1: about the he's talking about the, the people on the show, or just the people that need help from the show.
2: The, I think it's the people that need help from the show, like okay. the the people you were called out to 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 serve.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I would say in all three cases, um, none of them were active participants in any type of church um, or any kind of religious system that could have brought them protection. Um, Hopefully, uh, they have found a church or something that would help and work for them. Um, But, you know there's only so much that you can do. And see one of the things that does uh, it's almost made me question whether or not I would ever or or should ever do another ghost adventures again. Um because one of the one of the, the 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 drawbacks is that I don't get a lot of time to work with them and I don't have the resources within the ministry to do adequate follow-up. And so, you know, there is no such thing really as just going out there in one afternoon or one evening and, and fixing, uh, I mean, honestly, uh, exorcism in Erie was a, was, was a really great case. And it's fortunate that we were able to diagnose the problem so quickly and also, and resolve it for the, for the family. And my reports from them were, you know, that, he, that Chris is doing great. And, that uh, they're very happy. Uh, his, his mother even donated, you know, to the church and um, uh, out of gratitude. Um, and and so that does happen from time to time, you know, where you, you just, you go out there and you can fix it fairly quickly if you can, you know, get a hold of it. And it just so happens that everything works out right. But um, Ogden possession and sincerity exorcism were more complicated and required extensive follow-up. Um, and it 's very difficult to perform that follow up when you don 't have the resources available to you to do everything that needs to be done and you 're working within the time schedule of of a production so um, there 's that element, but in every case, the recommendation is always get to the sacraments, get to the sacraments as quickly and as as you and even in Airy, exorcism in area you saw i I provided um, unction and Eucharist for Chris, you know, and, uh, he did remarkably well with that. It helped him. And, uh, you know, we are called to a life of holiness as, um, like Kelly says right there, actually, uh, is it, is it possible that because we're called to holiness, those that are making gains in their relationship with God, that they could be more vulnerable because Satan wants to stop that. Yeah. I mean, that, that is that that is always a risk um it's part of the the trials and temptations of being a human being um in a fallen world to test our faith and to strengthen us through that trial um but you know honestly it's it's important for everybody and um one of the challenges to this work is having to work with clients who don't want to be a part of a church. And honestly, if you don't want to be a part of a church, if you're not going to commit to some type of religious or take some kind of religious commitment, you probably should waste the exorcist time. I hate to say that, but it's true. Not that I don't want to help you. Not that I don't want to see you. I do, but I want to see you well and I know how you're healed and only Christ can heal. The exorcist is a facilitator, but it's Christ who's the true exorcist. It's, the, it's Christ who's the true healer. And if you're not willing to develop a relationship to him through his church the way that he set it up, not the way you want it to be, the way he set it up, then guess what? You're not going to get better. And I need to spend my time on those who are willing to work on their own spiritual cultivation but that brings us unfortunately to the end of this episode of vestiges of christianity joy thank you so much for your contributions for being here i'm so glad you're feeling well and,
2: uh, I, I'm, so, I'm glad <laughs> that I'm able to speak this time. I was actually yeah. worried because my, my voice has been pretty hoarse. I, I wasn't sure how it was going to sound.
1: <laughs> oh, I understand. But, you know, you, you're doing great. And uh, it's just nice to have you back. But, um, you guys, we will be back um, on, is it the 11th or the 10th of August? The
2: 10th, the 10th of August at 9 p.m.,
1: Okay, that's mountain mountain time? Uh,
2: yeah, mountain time, sorry. Yeah,
1: yeah. so it'll be sorry, elev- okay. 11 p.m. Uh, Eastern Daylight Time and 9 p.m. Mountain, um, which I guess is 8 uh, p.m. Pacific, right?
2: Yes, that's why I tend to put... Uh, pacific and eastern in my tweets because the rest of us in the middle can figure out where we are from there
1: gotcha (laughs) gotcha so we will be back on a week from today friday uh, for a brand new episode of vestiges after dark we will see you all then god bless you all take care and uh we'll see you on friday